opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC registered investment advisor. We do investing simplified. Welcome to Investing Simplified. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for making us a part of your day. However, you may be listening. As a reminder, if you miss parts of today's show, or you just like to listen to the replay or just like to listen to me, Bo Caldwell, President and CEO here at Price Financial Group, uh, if you'd like to just listen to me ramble, that's great. And you know, I, I could use the ego boost. You can always download replays of our show via our website at www.pricefg. Dot com. You can also download the podcast version as we do play this live on the radio, but then we put the replay up on podcast for those folks to listen to whenever they want. Apple Podcasts is going to be your best bet. We try to post that there within a week after the show originally airing because we want to make sure the content stays fresh. As I said, Bo is back in the house. I'm here all by my lonesome today. Matt and Matt are busy helping our clients navigate this uh, you know, new world order, as it were, that we have in the markets these days. And if you have been listening... Earlier this week, we had you know you know we had the Fed come out and talk about interest rate hikes. We've had earnings for big tech companies like Apple and Amazon and Google, really that have driven the market you know up in the past and down in the past. And if you've been watching, the market has been doing its dance. You know, I like to say three steps forward, two steps back. And if you've been watching to see what might happen, and if you're looking all day every day. I'm going to argue that, you know, you should think of the old adage, a watched pot never boils. Now, when you think about it, that's kind of a silly adage, right? Because the pot will eventually boil. The water will boil. But so the idea that a watched pot never boils is inaccurate, right? But if you're watching it, it feels like it takes longer. So if you're staring at a screen or you're staring at the market, you're watching, you know, Fox Business or CNBC or Bloomberg, or you're looking on your computer and just watching it, or you pull up your iPhone and you're looking at that, you know, stocks app, or I'm not sure what it is on the, uh, uh, on the Android version because I don't have an Android, but uh, whatever that stock version is, you're on Yahoo Finance, wherever you are, if you're watching it constantly, you're going to drive yourself crazy. It's going to seem like it takes forever for it to do anything. And generally speaking, if you're trying to time the market, you're going to be wrong because the Fed came out this week and said, hey, we're not done raising interest rates. Now, Jerome Powell, who I, I've used this phrase with my clients, I trust him about as far as I can throw him. And I'm a big, strong guy, but I can't throw him very far. Personally, I think the people at the Fed are just in it for their own interests, right? They're not really in it to try and help the economy or help with interest rates. I just, you know, I, I have a, I, I would call it a healthy distrust for 
politicians of any stripe, right? But what they've said is, hey, we've seen disinflation, which means not deflation. So when you hear the word disinflation, it doesn't mean that things are getting cheaper because they're just not. Anybody who you know buys anything knows that. But the increase in prices does appear to be slowing. And that makes sense, right? Obviously, we look back at all the you know factors that went into why inflation was so high. We got supply chain disruptions because of COVID. We have all this money injected into the economy. People are spending more, you know, avian flu for birds, and that's why eggs cost more. And there's a war in you know in, in Eastern Europe, and that's contributing to oil prices going up. And then oil prices are how everything gets to our markets, right? Trucks are how trucks deliver those eggs that are now costing more because all these birds have died. Now you have fewer eggs, so supply and demand. Now those eggs have to get to the market. How do they get to the market? They come in a truck. Well, the trucking company has to pay more for diesel fuel because oil is is so high right now. So then that's going to be passed down. You think about lumber costs more, so housing builds are going to cost more. All this other stuff contributes right to inflation. We've seen inflation over time be a pretty constant in our lives. I've used the adage that my grandfather paid more for his last car than he did for his first house. Right? And it's crazy when you really think about it because cars cost so much these days. You know, I had sticker shock. I looked at, oh my goodness, that's how much a new car costs? That's how much a new Toyota Corolla costs. And I'm not knocking Corollas. That's what I drive. Right? It's a great car, great car company in my opinion. But looking at how much a brand new Toyota Corolla costs now is crazy. It's insane how much you know vehicles cost. Add into it that now that interest rates are raised, you have to pay more if you get a car loan. But what Jerome Powell is seeing and what the Fed is seeing is that their efforts, they believe, of raising interest rates have driven the inflationary factors back so that they're not quite increasing as fast. But there you're saying we still see more rate hikes coming. And I personally think there's at least one more 25 basis point or quarter of a percent rate hike coming. I personally don't think that they're going to lower interest rates this year, which, you know, very well could cause a full, you know, full blown recession. And depending on how you look at recessions, I personally believe that there's one coming inevitably. I'm hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll be a relatively soft recession. I don't say soft landing, but it will be a mild you know, recession that should be over relatively quickly, I would think. But we are in uncharted territory because of the way the Fed's monetary policy has been in the past and the way it is now. So I don't really know what's going to happen with those rate hikes. But the point I'm trying to make is they ha- they raised rates. That should be bad for stocks. And you saw the day after Jerome Powell came out and said that, right? The Fed minutes came out, the market went gangbusters, crazy to the upside. Then it went, you know, not crazy, not as crazy, but down pretty hard afterwards. Earnings have come out for these companies, these, you know, these companies like Apple and Amazon and Google, and their earnings are not as good as they have been in the past. The earnings were pretty poor. They revenue was okay on a lot of them, but guidance that these companies are saying, Hey, we expect to make less revenue or earnings per share. They make, make less actual profits, right? Than we had, than we had in the past because of these factors, these inflationary factors, as well as the cost of borrowing, right? The cost of doing business. You're seeing all these big companies lay off 
a lot of people. I read just the other day that Disney is looking to lay off, you know, 70,000 people, I think, something like that, right? These big companies are laying off a lot of people. These are recessionary factors. And yet, and yet the economy is adding more jobs, right? Jobs report came out super hot. So it's been really funny to watch these news-driven cycles because good news or supposedly good news, like the jobs report, you know, a couple weeks ago, the market dropped when that stronger, you know, strong jobs report because people think that means the Fed's going to raise rates. But then the Fed comes out and says, we're going to raise rates more. Market goes up. So it, it really makes no sense to try and time the market to try and, you know, tactically be in and out and in and out because you have to be right two times, right? You have to be right on when to get in and when to get out, or you have to be right on when to get out and then when to get back in. And our argument is that you tactically build your portfolio, your financial picture, picture, right? You build out what you're looking to do based on your tolerance for these ups and downs. Because I can say one thing that I'm certain of now, I can't guarantee it and nothing is, you know, is guaranteed, obviously, right? Investing always involves risk. There's always a risk of loss when you invest your money. But to me, the one thing that I am fairly certain of is that volatility in the market is here to stay. And I think it really started in 2020 when we started to see the mar- the volatility really come back. We saw those giant swings. We saw what are called limit downs where the market actually shut down for a period of time during the day because it moved down too fast. These are controls that were put in 2008 time. But it's continued. I don't, you know, I, I, I can't recall in my career as many swings of over 1% in a day as we've had in the last couple of years. And when you're talking about how high the S&P 500, the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ 100 are, and they are compared historically, if you think about it, they have gone up over time, historically speaking, they go up over time. Now, does that mean that'll continue? I don't know. Right. I think so. And we're operating under that assumption. Right. But the one thing that has been constant is these big swings in the market. And if that's not something you can stomach, perhaps it behooves you to look at other options that are out there and see what, you know, there might be that could, you know, add ballast to your boat. We use several different fixed income and fixed, you know, fixed rate, you know, interest rate pieces in our portfolios to help balance that risk because there are going to be times when the market is down. That I should say that is one thing that I feel pretty comfortable, you know, guaranteeing people when I talk to them is to say sometime between now and the end of time, the market will be down and your portfolio will be down. Now, I don't know when that is. I don't know if it's tomorrow or next week, probably sometime next week, your portfolio will be down, right? Probably sometime in the next, you know, month, your portfolio will be down. Historically speaking, the market averages about three out of every four years, the market's up. And the one year out of every four, average, it's down. That was last year. Last year was the worst year for a diversified portfolio ever by a lot of metrics, right? So if you had a 60-40 traditional 60% S&P 500, 40% Barclays aggregate, which is just bonds, so 60, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you got crushed last year because Stocks and bonds were both down big at the same time. And a lot of people got crushed. So don't feel bad. I'm not judging you, right? Portfolios got crushed. But the key is not to look at how did our portfolio do over one year. It's really not to look at how our portfolio did over a couple of years. 
it's to look at if you have a long-term outlook, a long-term focus, yeah, how did your portfolio do in comparison to what you need it to do for your overall financial plan? That's the key, right? Because you're going to have down years and panicking and getting out when you're down is not going to help you. But what can really help provide some clarity is looking at the whole holistic picture. Okay. Hey, my portfolio is down 10, 15%. You know, probably were last year. Most, most, most people's portfolios were down at least 15% last year. But how does that fit into your overall financial plan? Is it staying within the guardrails that you need to accomplish your financial goals? And those are specific to your situation, right? So how have you planned for that volatility? And if you're working with an advisor, ask them, what's the plan for continued market volatility? What is their plan? Have they communicated it to you? And if they haven't, call us. Even if they have and you'd like to see a second opinion on how market volatility might affect your portfolio and your financial goals. Give us a call 503-253-3000 or visit our website www.pricefg.com to schedule a complimentary consultation with a member of our team. Because we'll get, you know, we're going to cut down to the nitty-gritty. We'll give you we'll take that gray area and give you the black and white. We'll say here's how it looks. If this then that. Right? If this then th- then that. Not cuz we're not prognosticators, folks. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen in the markets. And I'm not going to tell you, Hey, just because you do this, you know, you're going to be up at the end of the year. Or you're going to be down at the end of the year. Cause I don't know. But what I do know is we can use math statistics and a long time horizon to give you a probability, you know, a probable chance of succeeding, right? We want to make sure that we're at the high end of that probability. And we want to look at the plan and feel comfortable because I want you to be able to, when you're retired, not have to worry about it because it doesn't matter what they're saying on CNBC or Fox business. It doesn't matter who's in the white house. It doesn't matter who's in control of Congress. If you have a long-term plan because Republicans, Democrats, independents, people have been in control of the white house for, you know, now going on three centuries, right? We've been a country for that long, two and a half, almost three. Yeah. Good on, yeah. We'll be, you know, 30 years from three. Right. So it, it doesn't really matter who's in the White House or who's in control of things because over time, the market does what the market does. And you want to have a plan for when it does up and a plan for when it does down and a plan for when it stays flat because we very well could be in a situation like we were from 1966 to 1982, right? That was a time when the Dow and S&P were flat over that time, right? That's a long time. And I'll talk about that a little later. It's a concept called sequence of returns. Because this was a question that I've had come up that I want to make sure we talk about. But today we're going to talk a little bit about inheritances. We're going to talk a little bit about estate planning and then talk a little bit about some questions that we've had come in. If you have a question that's been bugging, you send it to askbo, A-S-K-B-O at pricefg.com. I'm going to take a little break here and we'll be back to talk through some inheritance thoughts. This is Investing Simplified. Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. 
If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family. We do investing simplified. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you again for making us a part of your day. As always, you can catch replays of our show on Apple Podcasts, as well as those Android phones. Android he, He's podcast. looking at me when he says that, those Android phones. Yeah. That's me. I, I, I was an iPhone guy for a little while. For a while, yeah. Well, I just had a conversation with, with a listener about that, and they're... Um, also an Android, and they were saying it's almost like the political parties. You've got the Androids and the iPhones with the Apple, right? So both are... Nobody s- wants to talk to each other. Quote-unquote cults per- perfect, of some sort. Perfect analogy. But our shows are available on both if you wanted to listen, and we're also on Amazon Music. We've been trying to stay on top of uploading the latest shows up there, so if you've missed part of the show, feel free to catch a replay. We've got them posted for the last few months. And one of the, one of the things I mentioned, I want to say, last show, two shows ago, was the concept of an inverted yield curve. And I thought it would be a good subject to reapproach and just to kind of explain it again, because I've had a couple questions here and there that came up from it. And how does that really relate to what the banks are doing with rates and what we're seeing out there? And what does it all really mean? And the concept of an inverted yield curve isn't new. You know, it usually signals, say, a recession, which we're likely heading or are in one, although not to change the subjects, but the GDP data came in uh, looking like we were actually positive for quarter four. And so if the two quarters of negative GDP from last year don't get revised to positive, possibly we had a technical recession, not an official recession, and we may actually not fall into a full recession depending on how the full economy performs. But inverted yield curves a lot of times signal that recession. And yep. really the concept of an inversion is that normally short-term rates are lower than long-term rates. Now, logically, that should make sense. If you have a, let's call it a CD for simple terms, a one-year CD versus a five-year CD or anything, really. If it's a one-year bond or a five-year bond or a loan, the longer the term, the higher the rate should be because you, as either the, you know, as the lender of the money, because you're lending your money to the bank, for example, or to a company through a bond, should be rewarded for long-term loans more than you are for short term. So if you're lending somebody, yeah, your time, your time, yeah, your your money time is for longer. Exactly. So in a normal world, you know, a short term rate would be lower and the long term rate would be higher. However, that's been inverted for a while. And basically what we're seeing now is you can get a two year treasury at four plus percent versus a 10 year treasury at what is Around it? Three and a half ish. Three and a half percentage. Yeah. And so, and the 30 year treasury is even further that. So, What's happening is that we're getting rewarded for the short term more than the long term. And so if you visit a bank website online to shop for CDs, for example, you're seeing six-month, nine-month, three-month CDs just being really, really high. And then you say, well, let me put it in for three years. And you'll either get the same rate or a lower rate. And so it's making people scratch their heads like, well, why would that be? 
Well, banks are sort of anticipating that, hey, they sort of monitor and, and, and watch how the yield curve performs too. And they know that potentially in the future, as we get out of the recession, as Pat alluded to uh, in the last segment, we may see a pause or a, a rate cut. Now, when did that, when will that happen? We don't know. It could be tail end of this year, maybe, probably next year. More likely, the, that's the, what the Fed, Fed says signaling. they're going to stay put. All right. you know, they're going to they're going to keep raising it a few more times, quote unquote. Right. That's what they say. We don't know. One, two, three. How many is a few? And then keep it uh, keep it there, held at, right. at the same level until 2024 right. and the market is saying one maybe two rate increases this year yep and then you're gonna have to come down because you've pushed us into a recession yep. and you and gotta the, you gotta keep us from you, hitting you, the mountains and you might have you to pull up on the stick. by like two percent yeah so lots of different ideas out there what'll actually happen we'll know although what history has told us and what we've talked about on our prior segment is don't fight the fed and they've outlined what they're gonna do and they do change their mind at times they do but Usually they try to stick with the script. And the reason why is because it's their credibility. If mm-hmm. they come out and they change their mind every meeting or just go with the flow of what the market's trying to make them do. Which they, they used to do. That's yeah. what's remarkable about remarkable about the Fed over the last, say, six or eight years is they've been more willing to give that information to everyone, to to the you know media at large and the, yeah, what they're the financial community, yeah. just so everyone can understand what they're seeing what they're reacting to and kind of give the guidance before it was just, you know, black box. They wouldn't say much of anything. So going back to the inverted yield curve in the banks, well, if I'm a bank and I'm trying to get deposits on, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to turn the deposits into loans of some sort, right? Make, make their margin off of it. But why would I get you a five-year rate as high as a nine-month rate when I have a suspicion in two, three years rates might be lower? And so they're sort of placing that bet out there too, thinking, hey, Rates are probably going to come down at some point. That's what the Fed's signaling. So we shouldn't tie up money at, you know, too high of rates for too long. Now, I they're have, still getting decent rates out there. Yeah, I did. I, I was watching CNBC recently, and there was a, a former uh, Fed uh, Fed board member on there chatting. Mm-hmm. And he was looking at central banks around the, the world saying, hey, the central banks have said that they are committed to releasing more of their own uh, bonds for, for uh, particular governments around the world, hmm. Japan being one of them, right. May, perhaps even the European Union, to start boosting their military spending and some other initiatives that they have. So there's just going to be this glut of global bonds. And there's also going to be, you know, as a country, we have over $31 trillion in debt. And that doesn't, you know, those bonds come due and we have to like essentially refinance that as a country. Right. And he was saying Janet Yellen, when uh, the 30-year treasury was at 1% uh, several years ago, she was encouraging our government. She's like, load up, go big, borrow as much as you can at 1%. And we didn't, you know, it was after that. Now uh, we didn't go, we didn't go out 30 years. We went to a much shorter term. Now as a country, our average interest rate is around two and a half percent. And, you know, we think about it, it's like not a big deal between one and two and a half percent, but on $31.8 trillion, it's a lot. saying it, the, the debt service right now for the U.S. government debt is $800 billion a year. It's a scary big number. Yeah, it's yeah. almost a trillion. 
and yeah, just so, an interest. So, you know, and so what you've got... What, what he was oh. saying, uh, just to finish that, is like, okay, now the, the U.S. treasuries, we're going to have a, a pretty good supply coming to the market. There's going to be other countries around the world with their, you know, government bonds coming to market. There's going to be a lot of influx of a lot of bonds, and he feels that that will hold up the higher end or the longer end of the yield curve, rather. He said he's not necessarily expecting the long-term rates to come down. He's expecting long-term rates to go up because of that. And the short-term rates will go down because people will be exiting those short-term positions as they mature. Perhaps he's correct. We'll see what happens. That was his opinion. Yeah. It it makes sense to me when you have that much supply coming. It it was a supply and demand issue. He's like the the supply is going to be monumental, he thinks. When you're running the government and you have, you know, the ability to just add numbers to your calculator or add extra cells in your Excel spreadsheet to, you know, basically have the full faith of the government behind you. Mm -hmm. It's hard to compare that to just the everyday person saying, well, if I don't pay off my debt and then I have to make the payments on it, I can't continuously accrue it, which is why sometimes we say on the show that, you know, you should run a balanced budget at home because you're not in Congress where things don't really have to balance because, you know, you accrue debt if you don't. So, it's an interesting concept, and the inverted yield curve will probably be around for a bit longer until we figure out what we're doing next with the economy. I know the Fed's trying to have unemployment spike, and so they can see that their work is really working. They want inflation to continue to come down. Uh, but when you're looking at rates out there, just because I know people are now waking up, I feel like there's this great wake up. <laughs> happening. The great, awake, the great, the great rate wake up. Wake up where people are like, wait oh, a like minute. That. We should trademark it. As soon as rates went up, people were like, eh, no big deal. 1%, 2%. But we're seeing 3 4 and such uh, and up. And people are all of a sudden like, wait a minute. Maybe my money that's been sitting around you know, collecting cobwebs should do something different. Or to your point, maybe it's some money that you've had in uh, somewhere that you need to reposition to where... You might be okay just taking a, f- a fixed rate of some sort and just being okay without having to really worry about the volatility. So it's been on people's minds. If it's on your mind and if you'd like some ideas, we're here to help. Happy to provide a complimentary consultation. Our number is 503-253-3000. Rates are always changing, which is why it's always best to give us a call. One other thing to add that's probably something that people are aware of, but just in case you weren't, in terms of fixed rates of any sort, you know, whether it be CDs or fixed annuities or bonds in general, you can have such options within both qualified and non-qualified accounts. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have an IRA, you can buy a CD with it. You could also buy a fixed annuity with it. And if you have a non-qualified account, maybe a brokerage account in your name or in the name of a trust or a joint account, all of those can have those options. A lot of times people are thinking, just because it's an IRA, it's got to be invested in the overall stock market, let's say the S&P 500 index or something. That's not necessarily true. You can invest it in however you want. So fixed options are looking okay. Uh, yields on bonds are looking okay. We've gotten to a point where, as we called it, you know, the great rate awakening has happened. People are actually looking at things and saying, hey, maybe I should consider jumping into something. So wanted to give that update to everyone. And uh, now we'll take another break. And we'll be back with more Investing Simplified. When planning for income and retirement, there's a lot to consider. 
between managing the budget that fits the family, trying to figure out from where to draw your income, or balancing the tax ramifications of withdrawals, moving into retirement can be overwhelming. At Price Financial Group, we help clients work to create a sustainable retirement roadmap, addressing these concerns and more, and helping folks feel confident in their future retirement income, right when they need it most. If you'd like a financial plan tailored just for you, please don't hesitate and call our office today at 503-253-3000, 503-253-3000 to set up your complimentary consultation. Price Financial Group offers investment advisory services through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you again for making us a part of your day. As we continue the show, wanted to remind everyone, that we are available on podcasts, both Apple and Android, as well as on our website, www.pricefg.com. Finally, we're also on Amazon Music. And we like to review listeners' questions. And so if you have a question that you'd like to submit to us, you can email that question to askbo, that's A-S-K-B-O, at pricefg.com. It's always good to hear from our listeners and gives us ideas as to what is going on out there and what are people thinking about. So one of the things that I wanted to review or talk about, since it's you know first part of the year still, is tax forms and just the importance of making sure you don't jump the gun to filing your taxes and running over to your accountant. And why do I say that? Well, if you are retired, you may be pulling money out of retirement accounts, right? IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks and such. And those forms do come in the mail and they tend to come right about now. Uh, but sometimes they have revisions in them, right? Mm-hmm. So before you run with the forms to your accountant, double check with whoever your uh, brokerage is with, right? Whoever your custodian, I should say, is with to make sure this is the latest and the greatest data. Give it some time to make sure that this is not looking for another update. Same with brokerage accounts. So some people forget about this. I've had this happen uh, before where I've heard of someone forgetting, quote unquote, about the fact that they have a brokerage account that maybe paid some dividends. And so if you have, let's say, I don't know, Apple stock, Microsoft stock, some stock of some company, and it pays a dividend in a brokerage account, that would be what a lot of people would call a taxable account. And I know we don't like the word taxable because it has a connotation with taxes. You don't pay taxes on all of it, but you do pay taxes on capital gains, dividends, interests. And so if you're holding, let's say, Apple stock, and over a year it pays you 1% in dividends, I don't know what their yield is, but let's say it's 1%, those dividends are taxable, which means you're going to get a 1099, and there's going to be one of those 1099s that has that outlined. And so to make sure you're grabbing that also for your accountant. So it's it's one of those times right now when accountants are sending out their packets of information, right? They're gathering the information. You're gathering things yourself. I'll tell you that if you want to make your accountant happy, um, they prefer to get everything in a lump sum all at once versus piecemealing it. So if you are sitting on three things and then you've got three more things coming, probably wait till you have everything Mm -hmm. and then nicely send it off to your accountant to help you with your taxes. Better yet, they love when they can take your data in the form of a QuickBooks data download or something like that, where they're just taking your 
uh, that 1099 information because some of those things can be really, really long. Right, right. Every, if any interest, any dividend, any cap gain on all these different yeah. investments, it's line item after line item. And they can just import it directly through a software like QuickBooks, which is pretty cool. And I think accountants by nature are, are, you know, I would say pretty organized people most of the time, probably. And so the more organized you can make the data, you know, the data and the more organized your thoughts are when you're, you know, explaining what's going on. And remember that whoever you're working with is probably working on lots and lots of tax returns. And so they're probably bogged down with a lot in your situation that you're telling them about. They may remember you, but they won't remember what they did for you a year ago. So remembering all those little details is important too, just because they're human too, right? Yep. And right now they're working crazy hours because tax season's officially started, I think, tail end of uh, January and it's going through April 18th. Um, so this is when if your family member is a CPA, they're probably gone most of the time and you got to deal with it. Yep. And so remember that this does, be, be, if you're fortunate enough to have enough extra money to be able to open a brokerage account and you have these tax forms, it has been lately more so over the last three or four years, I've seen more and more investment companies report their tax data to the brokerages later and later. So right. you might get a form early February, mid-February, and it says, preliminary you want to make something. sure it's like yeah. preliminary, like figures not final or draft. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that it says figures final. But I've even seen where the, the 1099 that came in said figures final. Then and then two weeks it. later, something else came in. Yeah. You've already filed. You've got to go through the amendment process on your taxes. So, so check with the custodian yeah, to be if sure. You're, if you're fortunate enough to, to have those types of accounts, then the, the, the downside is you probably want to wait closer to the deadline to file, maybe even as late as mid-March, just to make sure everything comes in. I guess that's in. true. Yeah. Uh, silver lining, you have accounts that are making you money. So therefore, you have some homework. Your homework is to get a hold of your custodian, make sure you have the right forms. If you haven't received the forms, maybe you're set up for online. A lot of custodians are sent, you know, making these available online. Just because whole times are extra long around these times because not you're not the only one thinking of, hey, I need my tax forms. Um, one of the things to remember is banks will send you a form only if you've made over $10 in interest. So keep an eye on those. And otherwise, you, you have to kind of report it on your own. Uh, and those usually at least come in a little bit more on time because mm -hmm. interest calculation on a savings account is much, much easier. And then, of course, we've got W-2s and such that are going to be needed for taxes. But just a quick reminder for our listeners, just because of the fact that we are in this tax season and we want to make sure everybody's uh, doing their part and not waiting till the last minute, right? If you yep. do need to wait till last minute, you can file an extension, talk to a tax professional to discuss it. But I wanted to plug that in. But one of the other things I wanted to really chat about a bit more is real estate and where we are with housing and how rates have changed and we're going to have somebody from um, Mortgage come on here in the next couple of weeks to talk more. I'm going to have a guest come on on the show. He's been on the show before, but before he does, I know rates have come back down a little bit. So we were pushing 7 plus percent range towards the end of the year. And we've yeah, had for a 30 year mortgage, 7 on a 30 year plus, mortgage. Yeah. Yep. And Ooh. then we've uh, come back down a bit to sixes, probably low sixes at the moment, maybe slightly below 6%, depending on who your lender is, how your credit is doing. So, but we haven't really seen property values drop quite as much as, as that, you know, as they probably should have to price them incorrectly. 
when we talked about affordability of housing, you know, for each 1% of an increase of interest rates, your purchasing power drops by about 10%. And so if you have a 3 4% hike on rates, which, you know, we, that's what we've experienced, property values could be down as much as 30 to 40%. Now we've seen, and we talked about it on the show, some markets get hit 10, 15% already, but most haven't seen, you know, the brunt of things yet. And Data on housing does lag quite a bit uh, just because of how it's reported. And also a lot of the new construction uh, builders will try to do everything they can before they discount the price of their property. Because if they lower their price, obviously that affects all the values of homes they've already sold negatively and then also future sales. So a lot of the time we're not seeing the price cuts as much as we're seeing, you know, very generous credits from lenders, whether it be to buy down your rate or maybe to help you with the down payment. So if you're out there looking for homes, you know, if you need a house, and we've talked about this in the past, if you're just in a need, um, you know, at, this is as good a time as any most of the time, just because of the fact that you can't ever be perfect like with the stock market. You don't really know when the bottom will be, if there will be a bottom, will, be, will we go lower, will we go higher? So it's a, you know, good of as good of an opportunity to jump into it as now as as ever you know especially if you're renting for example right because rates have stayed pretty high as well on the flip side if you're an investor you know it potentially presents an opportunity to continue to be patient with where things are uh, we've seen prices come down uh, what really drives the rental market and this is even more on the commercial side is what's called the cap rate right what rate of return capitalization rate are you getting on the asset and so if i have a property that i'm renting for x amount of dollars against how much i pay that rate of return is what drives the price really mm-hmm. so the higher the rents go the higher the price goes which is why we've seen such a huge increase in commercial and residential real estate over the last few years because rents have increased and now in, those, in certain segments there are segments right. that are getting hit like retail and office space right. seems those to be have a little, been getting you know, work hit. from home stuff exactly. is 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 a little tough to work around but there are other segments in the commercial space like data centers hospitals these types of things that are real staple uh buildings that have seen those rents go up and the property yeah. values of those properties should be going up pretty significantly as well yeah and some of it it has to just wait for repricing just because if you think about you know how properties priced again with with rents usually businesses sign longer leases than as you know consumers so if you're out there renting a house you're probably on a six month or year lease that's usually the typical number we see on a commercial space you know three to five minimum years of commitment is generally normal uh, but a lot of businesses especially you know if you've got let's say a chain restaurant that just you know or like a walgreens or a kmart or (laughs) kmarts are actually no longer around but you know i'm dating myself no more blue light special but we've seen payments but you know if it's a big big retailer they're probably going to sign maybe a 15-year lease and so by the time those leases renew now they do have a usually an increase built in but by the time those renew you know depending on where rates are where property values are and so that's when we see these adjustments which is why commercial moves a little bit smaller yet than residential but again Housing, you know, in terms of timing, it's very challenging. Uh, it's slow moving. And again, it's need, needs base, really. I mean, if you need a property, you need to move somewhere. You know, last year you were selling high, buying high. If you're, let's say, moving from your house, now mm-hmm. you're selling a little lower and buying a little lower with a higher rate. But, you know, one of the things that 
mortgage lenders like to say is, you know, you date the rate and you marry the house, meaning, hey, whatever rate I can get, best I can, might as well, uh, and then I can always refinance, which, you know, depending on what will happen in the future, we may or may not see rates as low as they have been, uh, but there's a possibility of rates being slightly lower than what we are now. The Treasury only moved from about, well, I guess we, we hit over 4%. Now we're down to three and a half-ish rates, right? And so On the 10-year, yeah. On a 10-year, which which does move um, the mar- mortgage rates a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, it's not stepping uh, with it. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, the, the concept. If you look at, hey, this is my 20 or 30-year home, and you've got a 20 or 30-year mortgage, you can actually think about your portfolio like that. As long as it's a quality home and it does the job, you know, you, you got to look at it long term and not focus on, you're probably not checking Zillow every single day when right. interest rates are up again and the market is just slowing. It's winter time, especially in Portland. The properties don't move as fast That's typically. True. Last year and the year before it was atypical during COVID. That was, like, we don't normally see houses just flying off the shelf because right. there was so low inventory in the in those yeah. couple of years so it's normalizing. normalizing now it seems to be more of a neutral environment versus you know a, a seller's market uh, you, you don't have all these cash buyers coming to the table right. so the concessions that we're seeing a, a friend of mine is a realtor and she was just over the other night she was saying of course it's her her world is greatly slowed down i mean she i mean she was working so hard for several years, just, I mean, four, five, six offers a week, sometimes four offers a day in those hot periods. Now it's like, yeah, it's definitely slowed way down. Yeah. And the concessions that sellers are making, she was saying that, that, that sellers could, in certain instances, offer a buyer a rate buy down. Right. You know, it, it might, if they were going to have to spend twenty dollars or $30,000 in concessions, like a new roof or, you know, the flooring's all messed up and whatever, whatever. Instead, they take, you know, $15,000 or whatever and buy the rate down. Yeah. Something like that. And it saves the, the buyer a whole lot of money and in interest over that 20 or 30 year period of time. That that might actually be less money out of pocket for a bigger benefit to the to the buyer. Right. Yeah. So it's both redu- reduction of price or you know, these buy downs and it's both new construction and we're seeing it with sellers. Just how do you make, give an incentive to these buyers, which there's a heck of a lot less of them and houses are sitting on the market. We're seeing price cuts. So yeah, how does that- there's another option too. I mean, do you have to sell? Of course, do, you know, the, it's, do you want to be a landlord? But you could think about you know, since rental rates are so high on, even on the residential side, because there's people out there, I can't afford a, you know, $450,000 house at 5.75% interest. I'm priced out. I have to rent. And now, you know, you have more uh, people in that pool that could potentially rent from you. If you find a quality renter, it's uh, much like uh, a bond. You know, you've got a 20-year mortgage and it pays income. That's like you own a 20-year mortgage on your house and it pays rental income for 20 years. Or as long as uh, maybe if we're looking at hopefully rates coming down and prices maybe coming back up a little bit on the, the homes. I would say be careful on what we expect the price to do, just like we would want to be careful of what the stock market price or the bond market price w- might do. We just want to focus on that income. Hey, you know, as long as the property is being taken care of and it, and my renter is covering their rent and uh, even even better, looking for positive cash flow. 
the rent that you're getting is more than the mortgage that you owe, then you've got positive cash flow that you could potentially put to work or save or whatever. Yeah, potentially different strategies of approaching. And the reason we or I bring it up on this segment is because I wanted to talk about the fact that, hey, with these changes, how does this all apply to you? How does it apply to your retirement plan and your goals? Maybe you're trying to buy a rental property. Maybe you're trying to retire and move somewhere else. And so a lot of these things do make a difference and they should be part of your plan. So if you wanted to get a complimentary consultation and figure out what your plan is, your strategy should be, give us a call here at 503-253-3000. With that, we'll take our final break and we'll be back with more Investing Simplified. If you or someone you know is 65 or older, now is the time to talk about Medicare options. Medicare is an integral part of your financial picture, but there are so many options it can be confusing and overwhelming. Price Financial Group has recently introduced an experienced Medicare specialist who can provide you with a complimentary consultation to cut through the noise and ensure your Medicare needs are aligned with your overall plan. We have offices conveniently located in the metro area and working with our Medicare specialist won't cost you anything except a bit of your time. Call 503-253-3000 or visit PriceFG.com to schedule your complimentary consultation today. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, again, thank you for making us a part of your day. We appreciate our listeners. If you've missed part of the show, if you go to pricefg.com under the radio section, we've got uh, recent shows posted there. We're also available on Amazon Music as well as Android and Apple, both podcasts. Just look up Investing Simplified and subscribe if you haven't. Uh, and you can listen to prior shows. We've got a rolling uh, few that um, are showing up there. So going back to what we were talking about, we spent you know today's episode on layoffs. Sadly, uh, we talked about what to do if you got laid off, uh, what sort of things to look out for. We talked about this concept of an inverted yield curve and what's that doing to short-term versus long-term rates. And I wanted to wrap things up with a couple additional things on the planning side, because again, like I mentioned in the prior episode or a prior segment here, if you don't have a plan, if you're not prepared, then you're guessing and you can get yourself into a situation where you're worried and maybe not feeling very good about retirement and Maybe you should, or maybe you shouldn't. It all depends on your particular situation. However, having information is always helpful in trying to determine what potentially next steps you should be taking, what isn't, wasn't working and such. So before I jump into it, one of the other things I wanted to bring up was mortgages and the yield curve conversation does apply there a bit too. And the way it applies is that we've seen mortgage rates come down a little bit. I don't have the numbers in front of me, and uh, so I don't want to quote anything specific, but I know that at the end of 2022, we hovered over 7%. Let that sink in for, sink in for a minute. 7, 7 and a quarter percent. Those are the mortgage rates. While well, we started 2022 in the mid to high twos, maybe low 3% ranges, it was an incredibly, incredibly steep 
number we achieved. We're going to have somebody come to our show and talk about mortgages here in the next couple of episodes. We've got that plan so we can get an update. But the inverted yield curve is also affecting mortgages because you can get a 30-year mortgage, which is what a lot of people do. Most people probably go for the 30-year mortgage. From a cash flow standpoint, it, it may make sense. But then some people are like, well, I want to pay off my loan sooner. Why don't I do a 15-year, 20-year mortgage or 10-year mortgage or something? And so you would think, hey, if I'm going shorter term, I should be paying a lower interest rate. And that isn't always necessarily true. And the spread or the difference between a 30-year and a 15 are very slim right now. I mean, we're not talking very much. Thankfully, rates have come down from a 7-plus to a 6-plus range, and maybe they'll trend down a little bit more. I guess time will tell. But if you're getting a 15-year mortgage, if a 30 is at six and a quarter, let's say, you know, you might only be getting a 575 or 6% rate. It may not be enough of a change to where you're like, oh man, I should jump on this. Now, why would somebody consider 30 versus a 15? Well, the simple answer is cash flow. So if you're heading or in retirement or even prior to retirement, at the end of the day, whatever money you get from works and otherwise goes in to your bank account and then you pay bills from it. And so if you have a mortgage that's a 30-year versus a 15, it does change cash flow quite a bit. You know, we do have retirees that go into retirement with a mortgage and some of them have a 30-year. Some of them wanted to pay things off sooner may have a 15-year. And there probably are people out there right now that got into a 15 mortgage, which may be great because the rates were wonderful, but what if they got laid off, right? So thinking ahead is important and not saying that a 15-year mortgage is a bad idea. In many cases, it's a great idea. But just looking at your situation to see, okay, what do we need from a monthly basis? And is this mortgage going to constrain us too much? Are we going to have too little to work with at the end of the month? And as you get into retirement, if we have volatility like we've experienced, maybe you have to modify your budget a bit. We talked about that a few episodes ago. Perhaps that's one of the things where you could save. Hey, you know, I have a 30-year mortgage and I've been paying a little extra. Okay, let me let me trim that down just to the regular payment. Because just because you have a 30-year mortgage doesn't mean you have to take 30 years to pay it off. You know, there's a a saying that, you know, a 15-year mortgage is great because it ends at in 15 years and the 30 ends in 30. That's true. But you could make a 30-year mortgage into a 15 if you apply yourself and pay extra. But then again, you're applying the gas pedal, call it, and you're throwing extra money at it. But then maybe you turn around and remove some of the contributions or or how much you're putting into towards the mortgage if times get tough or maybe you want to put more money in other buckets retirement or otherwise so it's important to note well like i said we'll have um, somebody come on and talk about mortgages and kind of where real estate is here in the next uh, couple of episodes just to bring on more value to our listeners but uh, the other thing i wanted to talk about you know is planning a little bit more and we've had some questions that have come in And people are looking a lot of times for a solution, simply. They're coming saying, hey, what's your best rate? What's this? What's that? And that's fine. People ask questions, right? But a lot of the time, I mean, all the time, they'll get a feedback answer from us saying, well, it depends. Just like we kind of talk about on the radio. Because we need to really know the overall picture before we give any sort of recommendation or suggestion as to what to do. Because otherwise, we wouldn't be doing our job right? Just because CDs are maybe paying higher doesn't mean that's the best solution. 
because markets sold off a bit and it's at a discount doesn't mean that's the best solution either. You really have to weigh the options as to what makes sense. Now, what are some of the factors that go into it? Well, we look at, you know, what do you need in income? When does the income have to come in? Where are you pulling the income? Roth, traditional, just a brokerage account. How much do you need on a monthly basis? Are you covering your own health insurance? Is that covered? What are your expenses? What's your budget like? Another thing that has been a subject, as always has been, is Social Security. When do I take my Social Security and how does that play in with my overall investment strategy or otherwise? Can I take my Social Security now or do I wait? Does my husband wait? Do we take it at the same time? Lots of questions there, right? And then required minimum distributions. I've said it on the show a few episodes ago, and it's kind of stuck with me. And that's people don't really like to be told what to do, right? As adults, we don't like people coming to us saying, hey, do this. Because, well, we're adults. We're not supposed to be told. But the government will make us take a required minimum distribution. They'll come to us and say, hey, you've got an IRA. You're over 73, which is an update. 72 was the number. Now it's 73. You have to take a required minimum distribution or 4% or 5% or whatever the calculation for your ages from your retirement accounts so we can tax it. We don't care what you do with the money. Just send us the tax portion, right? And the rest of it, you can do whatever with. So then you reinvest that money. Do you spend it? What should you do? And are there ways of maybe lowering how much you have to take in or required minimum distributions, right? Well, we know some of the uh, taxes will be changing in the future, Taxes might be going up. So does it make more sense to pay taxes now or into the future? And so tax planning is a big part of figuring out what to do, what bucket of money to pull from. And it's not necessarily always very, very in-depth. A lot of times it can be pretty uh, at a basic level and it makes your uh, light bulbs kind of go on. I, I enjoy that moment when I'm speaking with somebody and all of a sudden I'm, I'm seeing in their eyes that aha moment. Like, oh man, I didn't think about that. And that's really what planning is about and having a guide or financial advisor Somebody in your corner that can guide you through the different options, give you suggestions, um, allow you to really think about, okay, what else am I not thinking of, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that you always apply all the suggestions or all the ideas are going to be the best. But again, you're having that collaboration. You're speaking with someone, bouncing ideas, and together you can come up with a plan that will help you ideally in a better manner than you would do on your own. Just because on your own, you've got your own research, maybe you rely on your spouse, and that's okay. But perhaps you need somebody in your corner. And again, the planning itself, if you're planned out and you know what you're doing, it gives you a little bit more confidence. doesn't make stress go away or anything because the markets are still going to be the markets. There's going to be volatility, but having some sort of a plan for the good and the bad and the ugly, as they say, right? Uh, having an all-weather portfolio is important. So if you haven't sat down with anyone and taking a look at what your plan is. doesn't matter if you're younger, middle-aged, older, maybe you're in retirement already. There's never a bad time to consider where you are. We have had a little bit of green markets, uh, which is obviously welcome. Uh, perhaps now is the time to reposition the portfolio. Perhaps it's not, but it's always a good idea to sit down with somebody and just take a look at what options are out there. Because things are always changing. Um, the financial services industry always has some other things that they're rolling out and ideas always change. So uh, it, it, it's a good idea to consider just a complimentary consultation. We do it for our listeners. Our number here is 
3000 It's an obligation consultation. We'll sit down with you, take an hour, two hours of your time, meeting or two, get to know you, and give you some suggestions. With that, we're wrapping up the show. Again, we thank everyone for listening, tuning in. We'll be on next Sunday. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And this has been Investing Simplified. Price Financial Group Wealth Management. The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC registered investment advisor. Financial Group Wealth Management We do investing simplified